This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Movie and TV production has come to a standstill as union actors join screenwriters in a strike. Native actors are among those demanding a list of contract changes, including wage increases, better residual payments from streaming, and some agreement on using computer-based likenesses. The strike halts a number of Native-led productions and sends Native actors to the picket line. We'll get a personal take from some Native actors coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal leaders and conservationists working to block construction of a lithium mine along the Nevada-Oregon line lost the fight in court this week when a three-judge panel at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected their arguments to overturn federal approval of the project. Christina Onestead has more. The judges rejected claims that permitting the Thacker Pass mine violates environmental laws and would destroy sacred lands to the Paiute, Shoshone, and Washoe people, whose ancestors were massacred there more than 150 years ago in 1865. Max Wilbert, co-founder of Protect Thacker Pass, says they will continue fighting. Under American law, mining is the highest and best use of public lands. It's more important than sacred sites. It's more important than... Uh, wildlife. It's more important than water. I think we're going to need to step this up in all kinds of different ways. They could appeal the decision. A second separate lawsuit is also challenging the lithium mine. The conflict has pitted environmentalists and Native Americans against President Joe Biden's plans to combat climate change and reduce reliance on fossil fuels, since the lithium mine would produce a key mineral used in green technology, like electric cars. Again, Wilbert. We all wish that the transition away from fossil fuels could bring us into some utopian future right away. But we have to recognize that whether you're producing an electric car or a fossil fuel powered car, there are raw materials, there's extraction involved in that, there's pollution. And unless we can reduce driving, reduce the consumption of cars, reduce how much energy we need and so on, then we're really just going to be tinkering around the edges. Christina Onestead, National Native News. On Thursday, we brought you the voices of Crow Nation teachers in South Central Montana collaborating on Crow language lesson materials. Today, we have more on the resources those educators are helping to create. Among existing Crow language materials are children's books, a dictionary, and a digital database of words. With more planned, Yellowstone Public Radio's Kayla DeRoche reports. You click on it. This app, Crow Language Instructor Vance Crooked Arm pulls up on his phone, features more than 10,000 words and audio recordings. So if you say, uh, young? See, it says the word for you. This is one of the products created by the Crow Language Consortium, a network of schools, colleges, and educators committed to preserving Crow or Abzalica. Crow tribal member Janine Pease sits on the consortium board. She says more than a decade ago, the Crow Nation found fewer than 15% of preschoolers spoke fluent Absalica. And it was extremely alarming. They've been working to reverse that trend. For the past eight years, Pease says, young Crow Nation students have taken language immersion classes as part of a still-evolving program to increase Absalica fluency. The schools will progress through our materials and we're very anxious to have all the building blocks that children can use 
to acquire vocabulary and to construct conversations. She says ongoing written projects geared towards students in kindergarten through fourth grade include reading materials on Crow Nation leaders and major moments in Crow history. A dictionary for children is also due for publication in the fall. That was Kayla DeRoche reporting. The Native American Basketball Invitational is celebrating 20 years at this year's tournament, which kicked off this week in Phoenix, Arizona. 144 teams are taking part in the tournament. Boys and girls ages 14 to 19, representing more than 120 tribal communities from across North America, are competing. The event also features an educational summit and a college and career fair. Championship games will take place on Sunday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes, but you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, your National Humanities Medal winning radio show and podcast. You're probably going to see more reality shows and sports on television in the near future. That's because those are replacements for shows that rely on union actors and writers. The high-stakes fight between the unions and the major entertainment production companies is reaching into our living rooms. For Native actors, the strike is an abrupt halt on films and TV productions in progress, which means they aren't getting a paycheck for the time being. Today we'll hear some Native acting pros share their personal perspectives on the issues and discuss changes audiences might notice during the strike. You can join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. We'd love to hear from anyone working in the film industry today. Tell us if you think you've been paid fairly in the past, or are you just a person who wants your favorite TV shows back on the air? We're at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are now open. Speaking with us in Santa Fe, New Mexico, is Desba. She's a union actor and writer and an independent filmmaker, and she is Diné. Desba, thank you for joining us. Oh, yate. Yate. Speaking with us in Los Angeles, California, is Marcus Lavoy. He's an actor and an executive producer of Red House. He's Ojibwe from the White Earth Band of Minnesota Chippewas. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And joining us from Portland, Oregon, is Laron Katia. He is a filmmaker and storyteller from the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. Laron, welcome to the show as well. Thanks for having me. Let's go ahead and begin today with Desba. Desba, tell us how the actress strike is impacting you personally. Has it halted any projects that you were working on? Not currently, um, but I was uh, this close to getting an offer. Um, had done an audition, and so now that one is that's 
that's gone silent. So. Mm -hmm. Well, we understand that you folks can't talk about some of these current projects or any movies or television that you might be working on. So we completely understand that. But uh, I mean, what are you doing uh, in the meantime? How are you writing this out? <laughs> Same as we always do. Oh, is it pinky? Um, uh, right now, well, it's, I'm a hyphen it in various different ways. So currently I'm actually working with some friends on a, in a writing room. Um, we're each working on our own individual scripts, meeting up. I'm a single mother, so I've got my kid to keep me busy. Um, I'm actually considering uh, applying for a, a bank teller position um, in the meantime. I'm also a, a licensed massage therapist. Um, so that's an option for me as well. I'm going to be applying for positions in uh, academia and for the coming um, spring semester. You know, granted that this may take longer than what we hope for. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, we had a, a show with uh, the Screen Actors Writers Guild, who are, are also on strike, and and they're not really optimistic that this is going to get resolved anytime soon. How about you, Desbo? Any timeline at all as to when you think this strike will be resolved? No, but everyone kept asking me that, you know, in the beginning um, in, um, in May, you know, do you think this is going to go on for a while? And I said, yeah, it's going to really definitely start hurting come the fall, which is when we have the time for more writing opportunities. I mean, these are going to be ongoing, um, but it's definitely going to start kicking in. And that's exactly when the studio execs, you know, the leaked um, deadline or article, whichever it was, that stated, you know, we're going to hold out until they start losing their homes and they still, they, they're out on the street. And that's exactly the timeline that I had predicted somewhere around the fall time when it's going to really start hurting the rest of us for sure. Um, and then with the uh, universal chopping down the leaves and the trees and the on the sidewalks outside of their their studio um, mansion um, for the picketers recently. I mean, these are vindictive people, and it's um it's it's uh it's gross. And so, who knows? It's certainly getting ugly, Desba, as you describe it. And and I also understand like it's it's on a personal level too because. Didn't somebody approach you and say something like, well, you're the reason I, I'm out of a job or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I was just in, it was just in passing. It was just a joke. But, um, I mean, hey, that's, that's a pretty, pretty uh, uncivilized thing mm -hmm. to say when you're first meeting somebody, um, especially, you know, we're, we're very supportive of each other. That's the thing that I, I don't understand in some, in some ways. Um, you know, with the comments that I see on some of my friends' um, posts about the strike, they're like, well, where were you when IOTSI was um, having this issue? And it's like, where where were you? Um, kind of just coming out of the woodwork here, you know, our our union members support each other. Um, we're brothers and sisters. When IOTSI were trying to negotiate their shorter hours, you know, safety on sets is a huge importance um, to all of us. Um, I've worked crew on independent films. I've um, also started out as a background actor um, when I first started. So, you know, I know these long days on sets from that perspective. You know, safety on set is of the utmost importance. Um, you know, lives are at stake. And when you have that safety on set, then you can 
do the thing that you love to do, which is be a creative, collaborate, create new worlds, that sort of thing. And um, you have to have that structure and that, and that in place moving from there. Um, and we have to support each other in that, in that same regard. Um, person's mental health, their physical health, their, their, especially with COVID, their health is across the board of um, utmost importance. And that is also for the actors, you know, whether a background, you know, our elders being left out in the heat or the cold, making sure that they have uh, sufficient um, uh, blankets or heating apparatus, you know, from the locations people. Um, and then also, too, with the principal actors, of course, you know, making sure that they feel comfortable, especially with um, now we have sex uh, intimacy coordinators, making sure that we feel safe on set with things that are being asked of the actors. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of these things that people don't understand are important. They're like, oh, well, you're actors. You're supposed to do that. Oh, well, your background. Who cares? Oh, well, you know, that's what you signed up for. No. We signed up to be creative. We signed up to, to be able to have the freedom to do the things that we love in a safe way. And if that's not supported, and in the contracts you look at with, um, especially with SAG, because um, that's the one you know I'm looking at now, that's not apparent in some of these in in these um, negotiations that. Some of these are rejected. No, we don't feel like we should pay them more for this or, you know, okay. that they spend more time doing that. Um, so, yeah, I got your question, but that's <laughs> my spiel. Well, Desma, I, I appreciate you you mentioning this information about safety and comfort and things like that, because I think so often to the public, this strike is being it's really being presented more as like a financial thing, right? And I don't think a lot of us who aren't involved in history really understand just how many issues are at stake uh, with regard to, to these contracts. It's not just about money, but of course money is, is a big part of it. And I know that uh, the residual payments, um, that's a, a big part of it as well. And can you explain to our listeners exactly how those residual payments work and, and how that can be such a, a big factor for actors going forward, especially with regard to, to shows that go into syndication or reruns? Um, that is actually something I'm still um, learning more of. But part of the reason is for these streamers. You know, you have all these platforms that you can watch uh, Hulu on your phone, right? Um, and they have these one-time offers for $4.99 a month or, you know, free for the first seven days. And, you know, it's great to get a deal. I totally understand about getting a bargain deal. But the fact is that that then translates to thus, you know, the rest of us not being able to get <laughs> in on that because it's so uh, cheap. But what happens is that these shareholders, right, they will um, volley their uh, financial stock or their gain within these, um, and they do some kind of, was it wizard math? Then to be able to <laughs> bank on billions of dollars for the fact they're like, oh, I bet that this particular thing will or won't work. And then, ah, your bet was right. You get $10 million. Um, and then so then they bank on whatever it is for the stockholders, the shareholders, and that sort of thing. But meanwhile, in our contract, it says, oh, based on the amount of streaming and the a number of people who are who are renting, uh, or doing these things, you only get like a penny per play. And it's not, it's not even that, you know, a penny per month for however many based on their, their math. 
um, you'll get this particular thing. And I've, you know, gotten residual checks depending on the amount of airtime, playtime, and it will say, you know, VHS, streamer, platform, um, broadcasting. You know, it'll be like a penny. It'll be 24 cents. And this is like per quarter, I believe. Um, and that's depending on how many things you've been in. And for someone, especially a native, a per native person and a beginning actor, it's not going to be very much because how many things have you actually really been in um, in the course of your career? And not only that, things that were under the SAG union contract. You know, it doesn't really work for independent. It's a once and done. You know, thank you for your service. Goodbye. You don't get anything. It's all about the contract and what is stipulated in there. But then they'll take those particular um, shareholder stocks and then they'll play with it, they'll gamble with it, and then they end up making, you know, tons of money. Um, and they're only worried about that part. So mm -hmm. what we're saying is that we would like to have a piece of the fact that um, when they do go big and they do have rerun after rerun after rerun, I mean, how many times have people watched Friends? How many times have people watched <laughs> The Big Bang Theory? How many times you know, um, that these things are run over and over again. I mean, that's the reason why they created Nick at Night. Um, you know, you want to keep getting that piece of the pie. But if you go back to the original contract, oh, well, it was only for the first time that this ran for the first season. Sorry, mm -hmm. you're out of luck. Meanwhile, okay. they'll get to... We're going to have to take on. a break, Desmond. I'm sorry, but but Ray, but but in, in the vast majority of these shows aren't going to be like a Friends or a Big Bang Theory and... Of course, uh, on the studio side of it, they're taking the risk, though, right? They're investing in these projects. They're they're going the long game, and it sounds like you folks uh, as actors are more playing the short game. But we're going to talk more about this all when we get back from this next break. Most Native Americans live in urban areas, but there are a few cities that take time and resources to shape urban spaces with indigenous people in mind. We'll talk with Native urban planners about implementing culture and community in their work. That's on the next Native America Calling. Hey. Honchua <laughs> You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are your favorite TV shows getting clipped from the broadcast lineup? We're talking with some Native actors and filmmakers today about the current actor strike and what it's really like working in the film industry. Share your thoughts about the strike and the business of television and streaming by calling us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our second guest on the show, Marcus Lavoy, he is an actor. He is uh, from the White Earth Band of Minnesota Chippewas. And Marcus, earlier listening to Desba explain uh, how these residual payments work, I know you've been in the business a long time. Is that how it's working for you as well, these small little checks for, for TV shows and projects you've done in the past? Yeah, um, they definitely have been getting smaller. It's, it's, um, once, you, once you finish the series... They're quite, you know, quite lucrative at the time. But then, as it breaks down, 
as she mentioned earlier through the quarters, they just get smaller and smaller and smaller, and, that, and they're still airing the show. So that means the executives and the producers and the shareholders are continuing to make money on those, and we are not. So I don't really understand the process or how they're coming up their numbers, but it's definitely slanted to their favor. And just I just want to make another topic, uh, bring up another point about the you know the industry and how it's affecting this. This strike is affecting. You know, I'm from Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles now, from Minnesota, but. Los Angeles, the last I heard, the last figures were Los Angeles, the city, is losing $30 million a day in revenue. And Mm -hmm. because of this, and that's, that's, you know, from restaurants to laundromats to whatever who's used to cater to the industry is now these people and their families are out of work based on the greed of the studios. And it's terrible. I mean, take, take $100 earned, the studios are making 99.50 and the rest of us are trying to divvy up 50 cents mm-hmm. you know it's, it's absolutely ridiculous well we keep hearing studios saying hey you know it's tough for us the streaming model it's not as profitable as we originally thought i mean i mean i don't i don't know you know you hear that the studios can play around with accounting and, and they can make anything look like a loss but i will say i, I will say that if you look at just the stock prices just the stock prices of Paramount Global, Comcast, Walt Disney, all down more than $280 billion combined since 2020. So they've got to be feeling a pinch somewhere, Marcus. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, again, I don't know how all the numbers break down or how they're coming up with their, their number, how they're coming up with their figures. But essentially, you know, we haven't, Actors haven't been given a raise in over, you know, 15, 20 years. We're still at the same negotiated prices from years ago, and they're continuing to make their, their money. So if a series or streaming series doesn't work, they simply cancel it, and they don't put as much money into the first season. So if you have a show that's gone three or four seasons, you know, later on in the series, that's where they really start to make their money, and they'll just drop the series if it's not, if it's not working. But they're still making money. People are still watching. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, what... What's it going to take? I mean, what type of contract going forward would be enough to satisfy actors such as yourself and get y'all back to work? I mean, just something that's fair, that we can all sit down, our bargaining units can sit down, and we can all come together and give us a fair price. They're so far apart right now that it, it seems like this is going to go on for quite some time. And, you know, we're all out of work, and the studios are still continuing to make money on streaming. I mean, me personally, I've, I've canceled all my streaming networks. I'm not supporting that right now. Okay. Until we get something fair, something that's, you know, going to profit our people too. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you, you say fair. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Like, for example, with these residual payments, I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like these 24-cent quarterly checks are fair, but what would be fair for some of these projects? Well, I mean, based on the – let's just take – like I said, let's take a $100 profit. If they're making ninety nine fifty on a, like, make it, give us seventy five twenty five. Make it something. Just give, offer us something that we can all come together and say this is fair. It's okay. just, I don't know the bigger numbers at the tail end, but right now this isn't working, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't. We're, we're not greedy. We're, we wouldn't be striking if this wasn't so. We're not so far apart that it's just undoable anymore. Our unions are strong, and we're we're fair. And but but it's got to be across the board. It can't be it can't be ninety nine fifty to fifty. It's just not fair anymore. And not to mention the whole AI issue. This is a really scary issue. And 
even Stephen Hawkins, the brilliant genius, had mentioned that the end of mankind would come behind, behind AI. And right now, they're taking images. Let's just say, I'm going to throw a name out. Let's just say Tom Cruise. As he grows older on in years, he could sell his image and his voice, and they could continue to make movies and have this image doing whatever they want, and he doesn't even have authority over what that image is doing anymore. Just let's say he sold that image or his voice. That's a scary thought, that you have no control once you sell that AI or, or give up that AI, that, that you have no control what that figure of you is now going to do for the rest of time. That's how it's reading in the negotiations. That is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, what are you doing right now to ride this out? Um, well, it's L.A., so waiter, <laughs> uh, food delivery. No, I'm kidding. Um, right now, I'm okay, but it's just going to come to a time real soon here where, I mean, I've, I was a U.S. Marine and deputy sheriff, so I'd probably go back to doing some kind of bodyguard work or security work. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at your picture. Um, yeah, you look like a guy that could that could do that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> you look like you work out a lot. Um, in yeah. fact, you kind of look like that. Um, you know that that guy Chuck Zito, that famous bodyguard. Oh yeah. yeah. Have you ever told you you kind of look like him, Chuck Zito? Uh, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, I get I get a lot of stuff. The Undertaker, I heard all these. <laughs> yeah. Well, what kind of roles? I mean, in the past, what do you specialize in? What kind of what kind of work do you do? Yeah, I mean, I played the tough guy role early on in my career, but I think as my skill sets have developed um, and my chops have developed, then I've gotten more into deeper roles. And I kind of love, and it seems that this is what I've been doing lately. I was on a series called Chambers with Uma Thurman and Tony Goldwyn, and I played the uncle of a girl who was having a heart transplant. And, you know, I play a loving uncle, father figure. And I like the roles because of my image, you know, my size, my tattoos, but to be able to have that look, that kind of scary, intimidating look, but play someone loving and kind, I think that's a nice, uh, con- you know, nice contradiction to uh, in my characters. And then uh, for life on ABC, again, I played an inmate with this super kind and big heart. So those are fun roles for me. Tough guy with a heart of gold, huh, Marcus? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, listening to you and Desba, I mean, I'm thinking of a, of a listener maybe now who's an aspiring actor, because I think everybody has these these dreams of like that classic Hollywood fairy tale success story, right? Like you're just going to hit it big, but it just doesn't sound like for most people that's what happens. In fact, it doesn't even really sound like it's it's that stable or currently even a, a livable wage career. So what do you tell somebody who has dreams of being an actor, but in in, an, in a climate like this that's changing so much and uh, it just doesn't sound like the cards are stacked in your favor, what do you tell that person? Well, no, I, I you know, I hear you, what you're saying, but I have to disagree. It's, it's, it's persistence and it's belief in yourself and it's dedication to your craft. Take theater, take acting classes, get coaching. And if it is what you're called to do and it is what you love, then stick to it. Don't give up on your dreams. If you give up on your dreams and your hopes, you're hopeless. So I encourage people to stick it out. I mean, it's taken me 15, 20 years, and I'm finally now getting lead roles. It's been a long journey. I remember driving from San Diego when I was at the sheriff's department, had taken a day off and driving up for an audition in L.A., sleeping in my pickup truck, cleaning up in a Shell gas station, 
and going to an audition and then driving back home the next day. Years of that, years of being told no, and it just, I got thick skin. I knew this was my calling, and you got to see it through. You got to push through. So I encourage people out there don't ever, ever, ever give up on your dream, ever. Okay. Now, Marcus, I understand you've got limited time. Do you need to get going here in a minute? Yeah, I got another five, I guess, and I got to get on. I have an appointment I got to get to. Okay. All right. We'll be really mindful of your time. So, uh, Marcus, I also want to talk about uh, what this all means for audiences because it, it's. It sounds like when this dust finally settles and the strike ends that we're going to have a vastly different television and streaming landscape than what viewers have been accustomed to in recent years. Can you tell us a little bit about what that might look like? You know, I I don't know what the future holds. We will see in these negotiations and see where we all land. But I anticipate this. There is no – we're unique in our industry in the sense that there's really no plan B. There's, it's not like an organization where they lay off all their workers and bring in a fresh new group of workers equally skilled for that task. We're it. We, you know, we are the tried and true, the ones who've been acting for years and who have worked our craft to get to where we are today. So it's not like there's this whole organization standing by waiting to take our job. So really, we're sitting in the driver's seat. It's just a matter of writing this thing out and time, how long this is going to take to come to some fair agreement. So, I mean, I I think you're going to see, once this all settles and we're back to work, you're going to see some satisfied, happy actors. And I've been on many sets, and I tell you, when everybody's happy and the tempo's good and it's flowing, that is where creative work begins. You know, when I'm on a set, if I'm a lead on a set, I make it my business to go around and talk to background people, talk to the yeah, everybody on set make them feel welcome make them feel part of the team because we're a team it's from the janitor up to the director everyone has relevance and importance and they need to be validated for that and made to feel like they're part of a team that is where creative work starts and that is where great projects you know are birth marcus one more question before you have to go um what about as native people if we start creating our own studios and uh handling our own content from from the beginning to the end is that something that's uh, viable in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen, you know, the last few shows, three or four shows that I've been on, um, you know, I, I can play a variety of, of characters. I've played all my own, you know, played Native American. I've got to play, you know, represent our people. And what a great honor that is. And I'm starting to see from when I was a kid where they had these ridiculous images of Native Americans in ridiculous roles. Now we're starting to gain relevance and be validated for who we are and what we are. And there's an awareness now and an awakening for Native American projects. And once before, it was looked at as foolish, and everyone else, every other race has their respect and their culture. And now we're finally starting to emerge. And I'm proud of that. And I'm looking forward with anticipation to see where we go. We should hold our own and be relevant like any other race. And okay. It's going to happen, and it's happening. So I'm encouraged. All right. Marcus, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Red House? Uh, yeah, I've been with Red House for, oh, my gosh, I want to say three or four years now. Podcast. We have a lot of films in, in the making that we're working on, working on getting funding for. It's just, uh, again, just another organization uh, that is trying to promote Native American projects, and it's strictly Native American projects. Awareness, validation for our people. And it's a growing organization, proud to be a part of it, and I just look forward to where we're going to go. 
Well, Marcus, thank you again for taking the time to talk with us uh, today. Marcus Lavoie, White Earth Band of Minnesota Chippewas, native actor and tough guy with a heart of gold. Take care of yourself, okay, Marcus? Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Take care, You everybody. bet. You bet. I want to go back to Desba now. And Desba, listening to you earlier and listening to Marcus, I mean, obviously, you folks are really upset. Uh, this is a stressful time, uh, you know, with regard to these studios. But but at the heart of this, what I'm really hearing from you both is you really love what you do. You love acting, and you're confident that this is going to work, and you're going to get back to doing what you love. Is that right? Oh, definitely. Um, yes, that's always the hope. I've always been hopeful for, you know, a good outcome before even, you know, the strikes, before I got into um, understanding what the business really is, right? Um, growing up here in northern New Mexico, not really understanding what the whole acting industry, the film industry was, and that it was here in New Mexico as well, but not, you know, as big then. Um, you know, and I found my calling kind of somewhat what uh, Marcus said, you know, when you, it, it came back to me. I was, an, I was a geologist for the Navajo Nation prior to becoming an actor. But as I said before, I started as a background um, and then just, moved through to where I'm at now as a, a hyphenate, a screenwriter, and a, an actor and an independent filmmaker, this is where I've always was, have, this is where I have always was meant to be, I guess, um, and I just didn't realize it. You know, I wasn't listening to the calling from when I was younger and, you know, writing plays and wanting to be in the movies, watching the TV up close to my nose um, when I was a kid. Um, so the, yeah, this is something that I love, and I feel like that's part of the reason why in, it's been successful for me up to this point, because I have followed that calling, and I have given myself to it, and I have, quote, paid my dues, both financially and metaphorically, in the sense that this is what I really love. And, um, you know, I remember growing up, there was this verse in the Bible, you know, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And I really feel like that's true when you have a, a talent or a skill that is something that is a part of who you are as, as a storyteller that's what it is and that's how i've been able to find my way my daughter now is also well on her way to becoming her own powerhouse um, and i've just found my friends in the industry across the board in numerous places and desba your friends and uh colleagues that also work in in the industry what are they saying? Oh, we're completely, um, just, you know, there's solidarity. I have friends uh, who are IOTSI. I have TGA friends, PGA friends, WGA fellow screenwriters. Um, that's not just the union. I think that sometimes, though, it could possibly be a little bit harder for um, people who are not in the union in the particular to understand, like, what's really going on um, because, there's still like this mindset of like not having had made it maybe perhaps. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not saying that this is a blanket statement. Um, I've just, you know, noticing sometimes some really weird comments from some people um, on the internet. And I'm like, wow, that is so off the mark of what's going on here. You know, why we're fighting, why we're striking that, you know, this is for the future of the industry and the future of creatives and what we feel that we justly need to be compensated and of course, you know, our safety and our health is important with the with IOTC, but them too, you know, we understand 
like you were saying the question before, this person said, oh, you're the reason why I'm out of a job. And that kind of mentality is still kind of echoing the scarcity mentality, which is echoing still the scarcity mentality of the CEOs, forcing us to believe that there's not enough for us, which is still kind of the, the understanding that, you know, as natives, we also are trying to fight with within ourselves, within our tribal governments. Um, the scarcity mindset of fear is just so big and who are you really listening to when you realize that there's not enough or that this is um, when you don't have hope, right? Mm -hmm. you, you buy into that and that's worse. That's worse than what we have to fight here right now um, when, you, when you allow yourself to succumb to fear and that there's not enough. We're going to have to take another break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Laron Katia, filmmaker and storyteller. Folks, stay with us. Did you know that there could be a silent killer inside your home? You may know it, carbon monoxide. It's a poisonous gas that can't be seen or smelled, yet it can kill a family in a matter of minutes. You can protect yours by installing carbon monoxide alarms throughout your home. Find more on the dangers of carbon monoxide and additional safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. This is Native America Calling. We're talking about the film industry with some Native actors and storytellers today. Does the SAG after a strike make you think differently about the TVs and movies you like to watch? There's still time to join this conversation, so give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest on the show, Laron Kachai. He's a filmmaker and storyteller from the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, Laron, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. Really enjoying this conversation. And Laron, there's an old saying that I'm, I, I like to quote every now and then. It goes like this, uh, where there's chaos, there is opportunity. And right now that there are a lot of folks that are saying, hey, now is the time for independent filmmakers, independent projects. Would you agree with that? Do you see opportunities here? You know, what's crazy is I feel like a lot of natives have been operating in this independent space for so long just because there haven't been opportunities for us to go to get to go into these big shows, to go into these big movies. And so for the longest time, we've been kind of finding ways to tell our own stories. You know, a lot of us aren't offered those opportunities. And some of us, I mean, now is the time where I feel like before the strike that we we are finally getting these big opportunities for films like, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon or Reservation Dogs. So, you know, our our time is rising, but I want to say that so many, there's so many talented filmmakers out there that are still operating in this independent space. And I'd say I'm, I'm definitely one of those filmmakers. Uh, there's so many organizations and, you know, uh, places where they still want their stories told on a smaller level and a smaller scale, but they're very important stories at that. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think as an independent filmmaker that, there is a position for you right now during this strike to, to keep moving forward and, and, and creating content that has a market with so many other projects uh, on the sidelines? Absolutely. I'm actually uh, I'm collaborating with, with, with uh, an, an actress who is also a part of the you know, SAG and WGA, Cara Jade Myers. Um, and she, you know, she can't do work for, for SAG or the WGA, but we're developing a workshop for youth, and we're going to present that to, to several reservations and organizations to, to help 
get the youth more involved than than native youth, indigenous youth. Okay, sounds exciting. And you know, we're talking earlier with with actors, you know, Desba and Marcus, and they were explaining a little bit about how the residual payments work. And and for somebody like yourself, somebody who is actually a filmmaker, I mean. How do you get paid, if you don't mind sharing for our listeners, Laurence, we get a better understanding of how the whole business of entertainment industries and filmmaking really works? So on the independent side, you can either, you know, operate through a business or through, you know, or through yourself, sole proprietorship. But for for the longest time, I I operate as a contractor. So I get paid through contracting, uh, uh, contracting pay, if that makes sense. It's not it's not royalty based or anything like that. It's very much contract upfront or at you know at the end of the project or however. It's very negotiable. Okay, so is it just like a a a, a is it a, a clarified amount? I mean, because again, it, you know, you hear about some of these deals where if the movie makes this much money, then they get this much extra money, and if it hits this milestone, then there's this another payday or a bonus or something like that. Or do you know going into a project exactly what you're going to get paid for it? Oh, absolutely. I think I think you know most most contracts, you know, even non-film related, we you, you discuss and negotiate prior before you know the project starts, and that's that goes the same for for film as well. Okay. And do you would you ever get involved with with studios and streaming companies, or are you very happy just being independent like you are now? I think uh, I think it's important, you know, for us to get our stories out there. So regardless of being in in a guild or not there's still so many ways for us to tell our stories and especially our youth now that have access to your phones we have access to so many things that i never had access to growing up and those before me and i feel like you know being a part of a guild or being a part of you know the writers guild or the directors guild or the you know the sag can amplify our voices and and get our voices out there further so i see positives to both sides but regardless Mm -hmm. i think all of us have stories that need to be told and it's, it's our time, you know? And I think, I think exposing our youth to to storytelling and giving, putting the cameras in their hands and telling them that they, they can do it, you know, and seeing that, seeing us doing it in front of them shows them that they can do that and gives them that confidence that they can tell those stories. And what are you doing right now during the strike? Laron, are you, are you working on other projects? Are you doing other stuff? Yeah, so recently I just worked on a project with uh, Brutus Bias, who's also the filmmaker from Warm Springs, and we uh, worked on an elders project, and we were able to capture some of our elders' stories, and it, it was beautiful. It was it was awesome to learn more about my tribe, and <clears throat> I feel like that's the kind of work that I feel like some of us can be doing for our tribes, and I feel like it's an obligation for me to to preserve our stories, you know, especially for us, you know, for, for archival reasons as well. But um, I'm also developing, like I said before, I'm developing a workshop with, with Kara Jade Myers. And uh, I'm collaborating with the Warm Springs Community Action Team to, to, get, to get this done. And we did an acting workshop, I want to say around March, with Kara Jade Myers and the Warm Springs Community Action Team. And we got such a good response from that. And organizations like the Warm Springs Community Action Team help make these events happen, you know, and the youth get exposed to this and they want to do more. They want to do more film work now. And this Mm -hmm. is just the beginning, you know? I've done some work with Warm Springs Community Action Team. They're a CDFI. Demas Martinez, he's one of the the folks over (laughs) there. You know Demas? Yeah, Demas Demas is awesome. Yeah, I love Demas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just love it how small a world it is when you're native. You just all kind of connected like that. Exactly, you know, and 
and I, I will, you know, everyone that we've had on this call so far, I've, I've had, I've had run-ins with before, you know, I met, met Desba out in uh, Oklahoma when I used to work for uh, Ryan Redcorn at the Buffalo Nickel Creative. She came to our office and I, I've met Marcus at the LA Skins Film Festival. So it's such a small world, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Laurent, I have heard that um, there is some concern over overseas productions, because I think we focus so much on what's going on here in the U.S., but I know that, for example, Sony and Netflix, more than half of their scripted titles that they have in the works are actually filmed, or they're overseas productions, and that could enable them to keep producing content during the strike. Is that something that concerns you, that these studios could just go to another country and just continue business as usual? It almost feels like they're they're trying they're trying to bypass like SAG or they're trying to to work around this which feels kind of cheap to me in a way you know what I mean but if they're working with SAG if they're working with the WGA and they're paying their actors fairly they're treating them fairly I think that makes sense but you know at the same time I feel like you know we should be standing alongside these people if, if I'm a part of the guild or if they're a part of the guild as well you know what I mean and so mm. I think if there could be a shady side to that where they're trying to bypass that. And I think that's completely wrong. But if they're, you know, if they're in compliance with SAG, I heard that A24 is, is, is a, I heard that they're getting a green light from SAG under their conditions to start filming some projects. So there's some progress being made there, you know, but I think that's in a good way. But if, if they're filming abroad, you know, overseas, then they could be, bypassing some things or working around it, which I, I don't agree with. Laurent Marcus was talking about uh, AI and how it could just replace actors. And it was like this freaky, you know, kind of brave new world stuff, like old, total sci-fi stuff. But I think a lot of people don't understand that also AI could potentially be used for script writing and creating, creating films, couldn't it? Uh, AI is tricky. Like it's something that I feel like some of us, weren't really prepared for, you know, and I think we're still working through it. But um, I think if you ever use AI, you'll start to see patterns and you'll start to see that it was made by AI. Like, you know, some people are making proposals with AI. Some people are writing script treatments with AI, but coming from the, the native perspective, you'll know if they're from their tribe, if they're, you know, creating something like a, like a script or a treatment through AI, you'll, you'll just know right away. Have you, had, any, have you had experience with provoke. that? Have you, like, seen um, an AI script? You're like, whoa, 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 that's AI. There's something wrong there. I mean, can you give us an example of that? Because that's interesting. Well, I've had some friends kind of show me. I mean, I've had some friends introduce me to it, and I, I've seen it. And it's it's crazy. It is kind of scary. You know, it is, it is kind of scary how they, they, they throw these different scenarios together. And, um, you know, it's, what, what's scary is it's only going to get better. The AI is only going to get better, but we have to find ways to you know, work around that. It is a scary time and it's not just for script writing, you know, I feel like, you know, they're going to start creating animations with AI, you know, and how, how are we supposed to know that those are from the, the artists, you know, and there's, there's so many other things, music, sound. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a, it's a crazy time. And I think that's also what's very important about the, the, the strike is, you know, making sure our actors and, you know, our writers are protected, our directors. I think that's very important. So it's just, it's a time that we're going to have to work through, you know, I mean, we're, we're just going to have to work through that. And what do you see earlier? I had, had asked that question about, you know, for, for audiences and viewers, when this all finally gets settled and there's a new contract in place, I mean, 
will the experience of watching television shows or streaming shows or, or movies, do you think as, as audience members watching, do you think we're going to be able to see a difference? Is there going to be a change that we'll note sitting in the seats? Um, I think I think we might not because we won't we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You know, we're only presented with what the finished product is. Um, so I think, you know, whatever is presented to us, I think that's that's going to be that. And you know, hopefully, if it's a native project, you know, we'll we'll know who's behind that and we'll we'll, we'll trust in them. You know, but if it's a, a non-native project, we have we have no idea of telling what's happening behind the scenes. And Laurent, for people listening to the show today, um, what do you really want them to understand more than anything else about this strike, about what you do as a filmmaker, and just how this is impacting lives, livelihoods, careers? What do you want them to know? I just want I just want everybody to know that you know, as as a native storyteller, that we've been waiting so long to get our voices heard out there. And I feel like those of my friends that are in the WGA or in the SAG or in the, in the, in the industry, they are, they're leading us and, 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 and representing us in such a big way that I think we need, we need those of us in those positions and in the independent positions. We need people to be able to explain to our youth that our stories are important, that their stories are valid. We need to put cameras in their hands. You know, we need to we need to show them that they're able to do that. And we also need the people that are striking. You know, they're they're very important to getting our, our voices told on such a large scale. Because that's the only way we're going to get more of our stories told is if we, we get more of a, you know a, a larger audience. And so I think all positions are important. But at the end of the day, I think being able to tell our stories is the most important. And I think that it's our time now, even through the strike, that we can still tell our stories. Laurent, I really appreciate you joining us today and um, and sharing your perspectives on this strike and, and just what your career um, is, is what you've experienced there as a filmmaker and a storyteller. And I want to go back to Desba now, who is our first guest, who's also uh, working in the independent uh, film industry as well. Desba, in addition to acting, you're a filmmaker too, what would you like to, to share before we have to wrap up the show here in the next couple of minutes? Oh, God. Um, yeah, I, I recently finished working on a proof of concept for um, with my father, um, who I managed to wrangle into getting into a screenwriting class at Northern New Mexico College, um, where I started. And, um, yeah, so I was working on a little mini documentary of, with him about that, um, working on a little short a promotional for another local uh, sculptor artist friend here in Santa Fe. Um, just, you know, just trying to try my hand at more of that sort of thing, writing my own scripts for directing a short with, with my kid. Um, and so, yeah, it's about getting our work out there, you know, as, as uh, LaRon said, getting our work out there, getting our voices out there. Like I said, I'm from northern New Mexico. The biggest thing for me is that, you know, the area because I'm from here. I'm playing with people from Canada, New York, and Los Angeles who are being flown here to Santa Fe to work. But I'm from here. This is this is my hometown. I want to make sure that I can continue to have a viable career as an actor, as a writer, potentially as a director and future producer, 
to be able to provide opportunities for more voices to be heard. And, you know, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, those military people trying to get people over the wall, you know, I'll get up to that wall, I'll turn around, put my hands down, and try to get someone else over the wall. Being able to, you know, get as many people over that wall as possible. And partially, like Lorana is saying, we do that through the unions, being able to know the quality of our work, you know, that we should be fairly compensated, that our work should be protected, that our, um, our minds, our stories are valuable, and they have a, um, a uh, what is it, a compensation that can be used, you know, that, that, can, that is, is valuable financially to support my kid, to put my kid through college to be able to support her dreams and to continue paying it forward in that way. And we can't do that if people are trying to take advantage of us. People are trying to exploit us for either our stories that we can tell ourselves or for the work that we do. And this isn't just for, you know, the union people. We're, we're looking at background workers. We're looking at, you know, a below the line, I hate that word, a crew of people, uh, making sure that everyone gets paid fairly, treated fairly, our work is valuable, we create these worlds. The best reason that we have entertainment is to, to escape, right, to, to, during the pandemic. That's why we had entertainment. entertainment. We tell stories around the fire. We're going to continue telling stories no matter what. No one is going to keep us down, and that's the hope. That's why we know that these executives of these studios don't really have a hold on us because we will continue to carry on our traditions as storytellers into the future and for our future, which is, you know, for my kid. <laughs> Desba, I, I really appreciate you joining us today, and, and best of luck to you and your family going forward, okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. That's all the time we have for our discussion today. Let's thank our guests, Desba, Marcus Lavoy, and Laron Kachai for a timely conversation on the current actor strike and its impact on natives working in the television and movie industry. Join us again next week as we start off with a conversation about including native voices in urban projects. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPolin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. And the president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe weekend. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to him that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I Indian healthcare provider. Information visit healthcare.gov slash covered. Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Quantic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.